Our scripture reading this morning is Romans 8, chapter, verses 12 through 23. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, for, yeah, futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into this freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Let's pray for the morning message. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. I thank you for the, your, the uh, ability to listen and hear your, your scripture. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit will work in our hearts this morning through the preaching of your word. Pray, Lord, that you'll be with the pastor. Help him to say what needs to be said. And that everything we do this morning will be to your honor and your glory. In Christ we pray. Amen. Good morning. morning. We're in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is a very interesting insight into Paul's struggle with sin and our struggle with sin. It's very interesting the way that he uses chapter 7, to describe the battle with sin that we have. There was an author. He was walking down the street, and he saw a little girl reading her Bible and said to the little girl, "Um, are you doing your work? And she said, no, sir, I'm not. I'm reading the Bible. Well, yes, that's what he said. Are you doing your work reading the Bible? And she says, oh, no. It's no work to read the Bible. I love the Bible. The guy goes, and why do you love the Bible? And her answer was, quote, 
I thought everybody loved the Bible, unquote. The Bible is a very interesting book. As we've been looking at the, the Bible, especially in chapter 7, we've talked about the moral law of God. And we talked about how creation displays the moral law of God, how your conscience displays the moral law of God, and then how your, the written word of the Bible displays the moral law of God. So we've seen the law over and over and over again. And it seemed like in the first 13 verses that Paul is talking about his life before salvation and how the study of the law before salvation just led to more sin. Then in verse 14, and he goes on to the end of the chapter, talking about how the law now has a different effect upon him and how the struggle going on between his sin nature, who uses the law, to commit more sin, and how the law is something that is given to him that he is to love and enjoy and learn from. Now, today we get to a passage that uses a very interesting word five different ways, and it's the word law. Law. Now, in verses 1 through 20, Whenever it said the word law, we said, we translated it, we said that it was the moral law of God. But here, in verse 21, and actually going on to chapter 8, verse 2, uh, it seems he uses the term law in a different way. And I'm trying to help you not get confused, so I've added more words of the law to your insert. Matter of fact, 11 of them. So we've gone from five laws to 11. Now, five of them we can blame on Paul. The rest of them we can blame on me. But you're going to see how the law affects your life and the different laws that affect your life and how they affect your life. Okay? So, in this chapter, we have a change in verse 21. Look at what it says. I find then the principle, by the way, the principle, some of your versions versions of the English Bible will say law, which is a good translation. Then I find the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do the good, wants to do good. It comes from an understanding of the law. Now, this law, I don't think, is the moral law of God. Let's let's see if we can do this. We're going to talk about the sin nature and the different laws that you have in regard to your sin nature. Okay? What will happen to a believer who allows a different law to lead them? A different law other than the moral law of God. Okay? A different law. What's the first law that we have? Look at verse 21. I find the law that evil is present within me. I find the principle that evil is present within me. Number one, we have the law of evil. 
What will happen to believers who allow a different law to lead them? If you have a law other than the moral law of God, or the other laws we're going to talk about today, you will end up doing the evil action. The evil action. Because the evil is present in you, and we found that out in previous Sundays, talking about the sin nature. Because the sin nature in you, it produces more sinful actions. And the sin nature starts with sinful passions that lead to sinful actions. We've talked about that. Notice what he says, I find. This is Paul summing up his argument. You could say from verses 1 through 20, he sums up the argument. He says, I find. I find, and he tries to give you the solution to the problem between your sin nature and the moral law of God. He finds a principle. Now, the word principle or the law would literally be what we would translate the law. But because of the word then, do you see the word then in English? That then in Greek is a very interesting word. It seems to relate back to uh, verse 19. And it seems to make the reference that this is a summary of everything between uh, 19 and 20. And he's making a summary now in verse 21. So, your English editors of your Bible changes it to principle. A principle. Now, uh, I might say suggestion. I might say uh, a note. I might say a lesson. I might say a number of different things to translate what a principle is. But there is a rule, a law that happens to you because of the study we've had from 1, verse 1 to verse 20. You have a sin nature. And some things happen in your life spiritually as a battle with your sin nature. And he says, it is the evil that's in you that's fighting against the law, the moral law of God. In other words, it wants you to commit sins. Why? Because when you commit a sin, you're, follow, you're falling into, under the authority of your sin nature. And the sin nature is going against exactly what God wants you to do. So, if I could stretch my arm out as far to the east as I could and put on that hand what God wants you to do, then I'd point my arm and let it go as far as it could go to the west and put on that hand the sin nature, which produces sinful passions, which produce sinful actions. That's the opposite. Okay? That's the opposite. Those two things are fighting in your life. And guess what? One of them will win, and one of them will lose. And it's the whole battle going on in your life that will either produce sinful actions or actions of righteousness. How does that happen? Paul's trying to explain. Okay? The first thing you have to understand is you have evil in your sin nature. The evil happens because you have that sin nature 
which you received from Adam. So we talked back in the chapter, what, four? We talked about the sin nature you received from Adam because of his sin in the garden. Because you're related to Adam, you get a sin nature because of Adam's sin. <clears throat> the evil is present in me. That evil, that sin nature is in you, and it produces evil passions and evil actions. The evil is working with your sin nature and slows down your work of sanctification. So, if you work this way, you're working on more sinful things each and every day. If you go this way, you're working on more sanctification each and every day this way. And the struggle is between which one you will do more of. The battle goes on between the two. Righteousness and sin. Okay? <clears throat> now, this battle is serious. This battle is a big deal. This battle in your personal life is the headline on the front page of your newspaper that you, your body produces, if you could do that. Okay? The most important thing going on in your life is this battle with your sin nature. Look at the uh, verse 23. Drop down to verse 23. I see a different law in the members of my body. I see a different law in the members of my body. This is the second law that you have working against you that tries to get you to do more sinful things. The second law is the law of your body. The law of your body. The way Paul uses that is he talks about how your, your sin nature produces passions that are sinful and results in sinful actions. So that you do things with your body that are sinful. And when you do anything with your body that is sinful, with your mouth you say something sinful, with your hearing you hear something sinful, or you're doing something sinful, you do it and you are, you are giving this side of your life victory, your sin nature. You are in a present tense, everyday battle. The battle ends when you go to sleep, and the battle begins again the next morning when you wake up. And you are in a battle. It's a battle over your behavior. The law controls your sin nature, making you more evil, satanic, and unholy, going this way. A different law that your different law that has opposition to God as its goal. In other words, if God says do this, your sin nature says the opposite. And it's trying to get you to sin more. The law may be referring to the works of the law in chapter 3, verse 27. But your members of your body are participating in producing these sinful actions. Now, how important is this? This is so important. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Keep your finger in Romans. We're coming right back. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's see how God takes this battle. What's his view on this battle? Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Everybody there? Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I hear people turning still. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. It's a little book. You'll miss it if you go too fast. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as... What's the next word? Dead. Dead. In other words, you consider the members of your earthly body that does sinful things as dead. What kind of sinful things do you do with your body? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So if you are doing something down this road that your sin nature wants you to do, it will be one of those type things listed there. could be a bigger list. But whatever it is, you will do those sinful things, and you'll head down this road. And what you're supposed to do, what God wants you to do, is He wants you to kill it. It is a battle of life and death. And he wants you to defeat your sin nature so bad that you kill it. You treat this type of sin as death to you. You want that sin to die. You want it to have no part of you at all. Matter of fact, he writes it in the imperative command, present tense. God commands you to kill it. If you are tempted to immorality, kill it. If you are tempted to impurity, kill it. If you are tempted to passion, kill it. If you have an evil desire, kill it. If you have a thought of greed, kill it. you have anything that amounts to idolatry, kill it. It's a serious battle that's going on between your sin nature and the moral law of God. He wants you to put it to death. It's a life or death decision. Kill sin before sin kills you. Believers are not to go on living as though they can still be alive to sin. You can't do that as a believer. You are to be dead to sin. You are to kill sin. You are to defeat sin. Living a resurrected life for a believer means putting sin to death. God is so serious that He wants you to defeat these sins. He gives you chapter 8 of Romans on how to defeat it. And we'll get there soon. A couple more Sundays. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 23. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against... waging war against... Sin knows it's in a battle. Sin knows it's trying to defeat you. Sin's trying to tempt you. It's trying to beat you because it's at war with you. Number three. There's the law of war. The law of war. There is a battle going on in your sin nature and the moral law of God that God wants you to understand It's a war. You are at war. War, Waging war. That word is interesting because that Greek term, waging war, is only found here in the New Testament. Paul had to sit down, scratch his head, to think of a word to write here. And he comes up with a word that comes from outside the Bible that he's never used before, will never use again, to wage war. Your sin nature is waging war against you. 
<clears throat> present tense, every morning you wake up, sin is trying to wage a war against you. A person's sin nature fights against or resists spiritual, uh, spiritualness or godliness or righteousness, which is part of God's will for the believer. God's will, we talked about before. It's God's desire for you to do. Now, there are a number of things that God desires you to do. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do this. Whatever that is, your sin nature is fighting against it. Sin nature is fighting a war against you doing it. Sin nature wakes up in the morning and says, I don't want Fred to do anything that will be according to God's will. And it seeks to destroy any action that would be according to God's will. There is no battle like this in the life of a non-believer. Because he is under the power of sin, he only sins. He only enjoys sin. He only wants to do sin. He's doing sin all the time. The only battle he has, if he ever has a battle, is when he hears the gospel message. And God wants him to turn his life around and trust God. There's no battle like this going on in the life of a non-believer. The sin nature is always planning an attack for you against your new nature. Sin nature wants you back under complete control that sin nature had you when you're a non-believer. He wants you there. He wants you to stay there. He wants you to give up. He wants you to surrender the battle. He wants you to give in. Philosophers have always talked about this. They've talked about the internal conflict between reason and passions. Uh, the Jews talked about this conflict. They talked about a conflict between good and evil. But Paul says something different here. There's an internal conflict between the new nature and the sin nature. The new nature and the sin nature. And there is a battle going on. Fourth law. Look at verse 23 again. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. Making me a prisoner. There is a law of captivity. A law of captivity. The word there is talking about present tense. Every day he wants to make you a captive. He wants to make you a prisoner. Your sin nature wants to bring you down. Sin nature wants to put a ball and chain on you. Ever hear that about talking about non-believers talking about you guys having the Bible as a ball and chain? That's wrong. The ball and chain is when you have sin controlling your life all the time. The believer's in a struggle with his new nature and sinful actions. Every day the believer is taken captive by the overpowering force of the sin nature if he gives in to it. Believers may rejoice in the moral law of God and may desire to obey the moral law of God, but they will lose the battle with temptation and they will do what sin nature wants them to do, which is opposite of God's will. And he goes down the road and commits, has a sinful passion that leads to a sinful action and they give up and they lose the battle. And then they become a prisoner. You know how that is, right? You have one sin, and that sin takes your life, takes control of your life, takes control of your day, takes control of your month. Whatever it is, that sin controls you because you're a prisoner. 
of that sin. One pastor put it this way. I, I liked it. I wrote it down. So what Paul is saying, quote, so what Paul is saying in this last verse is that his life of obedience comes from his mind being renewed by the Holy Spirit so that he can prove what is the will of God. And when he fails in thought or feeling or word or action, it is the flesh, the fallen nature, harassing him and getting the upper hand. That's the sin nature. It wants to make you a prisoner. It wants you to lose control of what God wants you to do, lose control of what the will of God is for you, and wants you to do the sinful thing which is opposite of God. It doesn't want you to do the righteous thing. It wants you to do the sinful thing. Constant war, and it wants you to lose. Number five. Verse 23, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin. The law of sin. Fifth one is the law of sin. Like that? That's neat thinking, right? Well, Paul said it, so I just wrote it down. Number five, law of sin. Law of sin is... (laughs) if you could think, is like a written down, organized set of rules not to find the will of God. It's an organized, written rules of what to do opposite of God's will. It's written to down to show you what not righteousness is. It is the opposite of everything God wants in your life. The law of sin and the law in your sin nature points the believer in one direction and the new nature points in a different direction. There was a philosopher that wrote down uh, that there's a battle going on inside of you, and it's like having a chariot and two horses on top, uh, leading the chariot, taking your chariot down the road. And when it gets to a fork in the road, one horse wants to go downhill, one horse wants to go uphill, and your chariot is stuck. And eventually there will be one horse that will win the battle. In your life, in your day, this afternoon, the battle of this afternoon is for you to be a slave to righteousness or a slave to your sin nature. Your sin nature wants you to do everything that will not please God. God wants you to do everything that will bring glory to Him. But there is a struggle, a battle, a war, and they're taking prisoners. Last, last law, number six, verse 23. Making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Which is in my members. The law of members. The law of members. There is a war going on, and it wants to control your members. Your sin nature wants you to do things that are sinful. That is the action it wants you to produce. And it will do everything it can so that you produce those sinful actions. It will produce temptations that are just customized for you. So that you will do the sinful thing. It wants you to do that thing. It does not want you to know what God's will is. It doesn't want you to understand what God's will is. It doesn't want you to understand what righteousness is. It wants you to do the sinful thing. And the actions of your members... Very similar to the actions of your body. You have actions that you will do with your members. There are things, evil things you will think. Evil things you will do. 
There are evil things you think about saying that will happen and will be tempted. And you'll want to do them because they're easy and natural and will make you, quote-unquote, feel good for 30 seconds. But that's not God's desire for you. So, your sin nature has six laws. Your sin nature has these laws that tries to do things and cause you to do things that are sinful. Now, God has some laws too. We're going to compare those laws. We have six evil laws. We're going to talk about five righteous laws. Here you go. The good nature. Go back to verse 21. I find the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. The one who wants to do good. What happens to a believer's relationship? To the moral law of God who follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. What happens when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit and you fight against these six laws that are against you trying to get you to sin? What will happen? What's the first law? The first law, number one, is the law of good. The law of good. The law of good is good. The Greek word translated good is translated and means good. Good. Good is defined by God. Because the Bible says God is good. So it is everything the character of God is. It's everything the work of God is. It's everything that God thinks about and does is good. And that is exactly what the will of God is for you this afternoon. Not to say anything for the sin nature, not to do anything the sin nature wants you to do, not to give in to the temptation, but God wants you this afternoon to do the good. Do the good. The one who wants to do the good. The believer's desire is to be wanting to do the good. It's trying to understand and apply the moral law of God, which is good, so that we do what the moral law of God says to do, so that we do the good, so that we give glory to God when we do the good. We want to do the good. The Greek word, wants to do, is the word that's usually translated wish or pray. We want and desire and wish and pray to do the good. You want to pray for your afternoon? Pray, God, I do the good. The believer wants and wish and desire to do the good. The believer desires to do the will of God and grow into sanctification, but the sin nature is constantly fighting against you to do that. It doesn't want you to do the good. It will do everything it can to tempt you from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed to not do the good. The good. The believer is to love the good. The believer is to do the righteous work by the power of the Holy Spirit that will be declared good. The believer works the good or the righteous and the outcome is glory, honor, and peace that comes from the person doing the good. 
Sin nature? Boo. Bad. God's desire, God's will, good. The decision should be easy for us. On people on earth, we have the responsibility to do what God desires for us to do. To do the will of God. We have the freedom, the responsibility to do the righteous. But your sin nature, that's evil, works against that. Second law. Second law. Verse 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I joyfully concur. The second law is what I'm going to call the law of joy. The law of joy. Joyful. I think it goes back maybe to verse 16. Agreeing that the law is good. Because the law is good, that should make you joyful. This Greek term is only found here in the Bible. This is the only time we find it. Again, Paul had to sit there and think about it, scratch his head, and come up with a word that's not in the Bible, but he'll never write again, that explains joy. Literally, the term here means to rejoice or delight with oneself or inwardly. Inwardly. It does not mean laughing outwardly. It doesn't mean dancing around. It means inwardly you are joyful because you are loving the good. You have a joy inside of you because you said no to the sin nature and you said yes to the will of God. You have an internal joy. And you can see it. I used to love going to the mall. And my wife goes in all the stores. I don't know what the stores are about, but I sit outside the stores and I watch the people go by. And you can tell the ones that have biblical joy. They walk differently. And if you study them, you can see that joy that's in their side of them come out of them. And you say to yourself, I bet you that person will be at church on Sunday. Because they have just something different about them that's joyful. It's a delight. They have an internal delight about their relationship with God and their relationship with the universe. They have a joy in them. To have a sensible pleasure in the heart. The believer in his spiritual life is joyful because he loves the moral law of God. The believer can have joy over the moral law of God because it shows the character of God and you love the character of God. It's impossible for a non-believer to have this joy inside of them. They can't have it. It goes against their sin nature. Sin nature will not allow them to have this joy. Those that try to earn their way to heaven will not have this joy. You know why? Because they're doing all the work. And they're doing all these things, and they think God is happy, and God is not happy because they don't trust the work of Jesus Christ. So, you have people trying to be in the middle road. <laughs> you got people doing sinful things. You got people trying to do good things, and they think those good things that they struggle with and don't make them happy. And then there's God's option, who has a Savior, Jesus Christ, who did all the work. All you have to do is trust that gift. 
and you will have that internal joy, delight that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The non-believer can't enjoy the law of God. Can't enjoy it. Third law. Those two, those two are enough. We could stop now. But wait, there's more. Here's the third law. Verse 22, joyfully concur with the law of God. The law of God. Law of God, Paul said it good, so I wrote it down. Law of God. You're going to write it down. Law of God. The law of God. The law of God. And again, I think he's using the term law in a different way in this verse. So I don't think he's talking about the moral law of God. Okay? You could agree with that or disagree, whatever you want. But I think it's talking about all the different commands that God has. All of them. Every single command God has is what God wants you to do. God's will is everything He commands. And God commands so that you will have the joy in your heart. The believer is pleased to have insight into the divine requirements of God. You love when He gives you a command. Even if you do not work, they are to be obeyed by this law. We are to obey this law. We don't earn our way to heaven. But when we do these things, it brings us joy. You are not saved by work. You are saved by faith. But after your salvation, it's interesting that we can have the responsibility and ability to obey the law of God. And we do it joyfully, not to earn our salvation, but we do it in response to worship God. So you're worshiping God when you obey the moral law of God. The holy law of God is to show you your sinfulness so that you can come to a place of salvation. And get away from doing everything the sin nature wants you to do. And finally do what the will of God is. And it will bring you joy. A joy you can't suppress. A joy you can't turn off. A joy that comes from inside of you and just bubbles out. Law number four. Law of, oh, we're running out of time. Somebody keep speeding up that clock. Here we go. Law number four. What happens to a believer's relationship, the moral law of God, who follows the leading of the Holy Spirit? Verse 22, joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In the inner man. This is uh, what I'm calling the law of man. The man that's in you gets born again when you are saved. You, when you are spiritually baptized, you are saved, and you are made pure, holy, a child of God, redeemed, resurrected, whatever you want to use, all those terms happen to you. Uh, you are sanctified, you are glorified, you are justified. All those things happen to you. That inner man gets created by the work of the Holy Spirit. That inner man is what makes you different from a non-believer. That inner man makes you a new creation. You are unique and special because you have the inner man within you, okay? With this inner man, you have so much. You have so much 
You have so much that God has given you in this inner man that you have the ability to have the Holy Spirit empower you so you can do what God's will is for you. You wake up with the creator of the universe's power within you. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you in the inner man. And this inner man can do amazing things. This inner man can make you powerful. Powerful. In the inner man, I didn't like how New American Standard translates this. The in, in the, literally is according to, according to the inner man. In other words, because of you being an inner man, having an inner man, you are a new creation. You are according to, you live according to that inner man. That inner man rules you. The inner man is used by Paul three times. This is the only time in Romans it's used. It's always referring to a believer. Every time he uses it, it's talking about a believer. The inner man, it's a contrast to the sin nature, contrast to the flesh, contrast to who you used to be. That inner man is a believer who's been justified and is in the process of being sanctified. You, in the process of being sanctified, have your inner man renewed. Your inner man is being renewed every single day. Your inner man is stronger today than it was yesterday. Your inner man will be stronger tomorrow than you are today. The inner man, God is working in your life through the process of sanctification, teaching you things. <clears throat> we talked about this on Wednesday night a little bit. We talked about how hard things sometimes are the best things for you. Because sometimes those hard things cause you to grow your faith and you are stronger the next day. Your inner man is growing. And it grows by faith and it's renewed each and every day and you are getting stronger so that the bigger the temptation was yesterday, it's not as big as today. Because you are stronger, because you are following the law of God, <laughs> you, you are following the law of man, you're following, you got an inner man that you need to exercise and get stronger. And you got the Holy Spirit empowering this inner man. Let me give you some verses. The inner man is not the flesh or the sin nature. It will never be removed from you until God gives you a resurrected body. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. The scripture reading. We got to the end of it. The last verse in scripture reading. And not only this, but all, we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The day your renewing process of your inner man is done is the day you'll be resurrected with a resurrected body. And when you are resurrected with your resurrected body, you will be done with the battle with sin nature. 
The war ends that day you receive your resurrected body. You will be victorious that day. You will be the winner that day. You will be completely free from any temptation to sin ever again. You will be free because sin has lost. And you will win. The immaterial part of you has been redeemed. It's where the Holy Spirit dwells. The believer has a new love for his life. Love for God. Love for the Word of God. Love for truth. Love for the Gospel message. Love for others. The Holy Spirit and the love for the work of Jesus Christ. You have a love that changes you. Here we go. Law number five. No, law number five. If four is not enough, one is not. One is enough. Four is more than enough. But God gives you five. Here you go. Number five. Verse 23. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. The law of my mind. Here we go. Five. I'm going to call it the law of reason. The law of reason. Okay? Now, <clears throat> with law number five, it changes your thinking and it changes how you reason. You now, with your inner man, with the law of God, with everything you have from God to do God's will, you now have law of reason, a mind, a thinking process that is now controlled by the Holy Spirit and the will of God. Your mind wants to do the will of God. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do the will of God. You want to do the will of God. The sin nature, no, you don't want to do that. You want to do the will of God. Your mind, your reason now is different. Every morning you wake up, you say, I want to do what God wants me to do today. And I want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do anything in my own power because I will sin. I want to do it in God's power. Here we go. The law of reason. This is a principle of behavior. With your reason, you have a different behavior. Law of my mind. My mind is associated with the inner man, connected to the inner man, connected to my new nature, connected because of the work of justification and working of sanctification. You have all these things working in your life. Your thinking is different. The power to think and understand and apply and put into action spiritual things and moral law of God is now capable of you being able to do it. It starts with your thinking. The new mind is able to make moral decisions and judgments based upon the moral law of God. Because of the law of God, you can now reason. you got the moral law of God, you reason. And now, instead of for a non-Christian making more sin, you now, with the moral law, can do the will of God. Oh, you look like you don't believe me. Here you go. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Your mind needs to be renewed. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Being conformed to this world is sin nature. You are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is. The will of God is down the road of renewing your mind. 
when you have the reason properly connected by the Holy Spirit, you know what to think and how to do and what you're to do. Therefore, the will of God is something you know how to do so that you prove what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Sin nature will never accomplish good, acceptable, and perfect. Only a renewed mind doing the will of God can do that. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. 14 verse 5. Romans chapter 14 verse 5. One page over. The renewed mind can make moral decisions in areas of freedom where there are no biblical commands. One person, in other words, verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own, what's the word? Mind. In other words, with God, (laughs) being saved, you have freedom. And that freedom is controlled by a renewed mind. And that renewed mind makes your thinking and you do things that will glorify God, that are God's will for you. And you do them and you know what they are. And you do them so that God gets the glory. Because you are fully convinced in your mind. Turn back. Romans 8. Romans 8. We covered this too. Romans chapter 8. No, we didn't. We were a little bit before this scripture reading. Romans 8, verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7. This is interesting. Your mind doing the will of God is one way. But if your mind is controlled by the sin nature, I want you to know what happens. Verse 7. Romans chapter 8. Because the mind set on the flesh, in other words, the sin nature, if your mind is set on the sin nature, it is hostile, you know what that means? At war with God. If your mind is set on the flesh, it is hostile to the sin nature. In other words, if your mind is thinking about everything the sin nature wants you to do, you will not be thinking about what God wants you to do, and therefore you'll be at war with God. Because you're teaming up with your sin nature. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, even if it's able, capable to do. Even if it's able to do it, it doesn't do it. The human mind is supposed to glorify God and thank God and praise God and and serve Him and give Him worship. And we are only able to do that with a mind that thinks differently and is renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you think and know what the will of God is then we do it. You have five laws working on your behalf. You have six laws working against you. Guess who I want to win? As your friend, I want the five laws to win and the six laws to lose. And it only comes and only happens when you submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here you go. Applications. Simple, short, sweet, here we go. Will I act like a spirit-led believer as I show my neighbors the character of God by my words and actions? Will I act like a spirit-led believer as I show my neighbor the character of God, which is showing him the moral law of God, when I show the character of God by my words and my actions? Because by doing so, I will be joyful. 
I will delight in the Lord. <clears throat> little boy said, I wish I could mind God as my little dog minds me. I wish I could mind God as my little dog minds me. A poor little dog readily obeys his master, but we rebel against him. We think that he doesn't know what's best for us, that somehow sin will please us, that temptation will, will give us what it promises us, and we believe sin nature rather than our creator, our preserver, our father, our savior, the giver, the giver of everything we love. We need to mind him, follow an example. Like a dog. Don't give in to temptation. Give in to the power that God has given you. And you will be joyful this week like never before. I promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, that you would help us to always, always remember to do your will. I pray, Father, that we would be able to think clearly, to understand your will, and to do it, and to do what you want us to do. And I know, Father, it will be related to your moral law. Help us, Father, to do it. I pray, Father, the temptation that comes from our sin nature, which is evil, will be put off and shut down because it's not giving us what will please you. I pray, Father, you help us in our sanctification to grow stronger each and every day, that our mind would grow stronger in your words, grow stronger in practical application of your word, and know what to say and what to do so that our friends and neighbors will know who the character of God is by looking at our life and looking at our words. Help us, Father, to say the things you want us to say. Help us to do the things you want us to do. Help us to do God's will. This week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.